0: So if you have God's word, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Acts. We're going to Acts chapter uh, Acts chapter 2, actually, and we're going to be looking at, at verse 14 through 21. And so I want to invite you to just kind of uh, put your finger there. Acts chapter 14, looking at verse 14 through 21. And, and I want to begin this morning by asking a question, if you allow me to do that. And the question is this, how many of you have life figured out? You know, that's kind of a little bit of a catch question. I mean, really, how many of you have life figured out? You know, kind of like that person, maybe in high school, back in high school, they're super popular, or maybe that relative, you know, and it seems like that, that, you know, everything they do is blessed. Everything they do, they are successful at and so they just have life figured out Well, for me life is more like the rubik's cube you know the rubik's cube with all the little colored squares and you turn it and try to get you know all the sides one color the same color and and, and so my life is more like that i get one side all one color and i get another side all one color maybe and then i turn it again and bam all of a sudden it's, it's all mixed up and and life is like that you get your bills paid and then bam another thing happens you have another bill to pay you have a car that breaks down amen you understand that and so, you know, it seems like just when things get in order, things are knocked out of order. I wonder if the people in the book of Acts, the people in the book of Acts pre-Christ, I wonder if they kind of felt that way just a little bit. I mean, I imagine in their mind they're thinking, okay, our theology is right, and our, our faith and our, our, our religion is what it needs to be. And then all of a sudden here comes this guy by the name of Jesus. And Jesus shatters the world. He turns the world upside down and inside out. And you can imagine at this time in Acts chapter 2, the curiosity was an all-time high because something was happening. And in fact, it was so grand and so wonderful that, that Peter... He stands to preach before the crowd and that's what we're going to read in just a moment. But Peter stands to to speak to the crowd and and you can imagine as he's standing there and he, he begins, he could have spoke about, you know, the tongues of fire. That had just happened there in, in a previous chapter and he could talk about the tongues of fire and how glorious and wonderful and the great imagery that was happening in that experience, but, but he does not. He, he could have spoke about, you know, how, how good life is and he could have spoke about, you know, things that are positive and how beautiful the day is and, you know, kind of self-help type of things. You know, a lot of people gather for that. They love pastors that just always give Kind of self-help type of information. I mean, he could have done that. I mean, he, he could have. Peter could have. He could have told his story. He could have shared experiences that 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 he and, and the others that were following Christ, you know, had in ministry. But, you know, it's interesting that he, he does not do any of those things. But what he does is he points out something that has already been spoken. We call that prophecy. As if to say what is true now has always been true. And I think Peter, he, he was kind of saying, can you see it now? Can you see it now that this the secret formula for life is not all that secret? It's really not all that secret. And we see this unfold before us here in Acts chapter two. Go with me to Acts chapter two, uh, beginning there at verse 14 and follow along as we read the word. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice And address the crowd. Now, there he is standing by the temple upon those wide steps with this deep, sweeping hill. I've been there to the Holy Land. I've seen this, this place, this location. And yes, and you can imagine the people that are gathered down the hill. And so he would have to raise his voice. And so you can imagine this text. He begins to speak. He raises his voice. And here's what he says. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you for the word today. I thank you, Father, that, that you you give us revelation, that your word is the same uh, yesterday, today, and forevermore. That your word is, is relevant for for living. Not only those many years ago, but it's relevant for this life that we're living right now. And I pray, God, that you would, you would speak and that you would, Lord, just touch our heart as we listen to your words. We thank you, Father, for the, the scripture and the reading of it. We ask all these things in Jesus Christ's glorious name. Amen. Now, if you take a moment, just look at the passage for a second again, and you can see there is a lot happening. In fact, I, I would say there's these little snippets of revelation, and then there's kind of a couple moments of aha. And I want to talk about those with you today, but, but, but the first part, it, it would be these snippets of revelation. And what I see is this promise that God has given us, that He will give us direction. And, and that, that is relevant. That, I mean, that, That is something that I believe that maybe we should be reminded of, if not every week, every day of our life, that God wants to give us direction. See, the promise is that God will give us aid that God will give us direction in life, that he, he will speak to us, that there, there is a voice that is the voice of the creator that, that will come to you and he will speak to you either in that small, still voice in your conscience or maybe it's through the word of God or maybe it's the message the preacher's preaching. But folks, the good news is, is that God will give you direction. And I don't know what you're dealing with in life and what you're facing, young people, but I know this, that sometimes making Hard decisions is hard, and we need direction. And the promises that that God will give direction. Listen, He will give direction to those that are listening, that are pausing long enough to to hear the voice of God. I I was uh, I was blown away. Uh, several months ago, we were getting ready to move to California, and um, our oldest son has a business there in Florida, and and he's getting married this May. I think May sixth is the date, and And so he had gotten an apartment, was moving out. He had been with us there for a while. And so we're just in a big transition phase in life. And so he's moving to his apartment, but he had a box in his room, was kind of loading things up. I go into his room, and I start to speak to him about something. I can't remember what it was, but I notice there's this piece of paper that's above his mirror, kind of on a nail, uh, the nails pushed to the corner of the paper and I glance at it and I recognize what it is. And, and what it, what it was was a, a letter that I had written to Remington probably a year before that, maybe a couple of years before, but it was a, a letter that I'd written to him and, and it's a, the, the kind of letter that a father writes to his son. And so I'm writing this letter, I just sat down, I was motivated at that point in life for some reason to write about how proud I was of Remington and how much I love him and how I adore these certain things in his life. And, and, and then I spoke about, you know, wisdom, about, you know, certain things I'd want my son to know and, and how to make decisions in life, you know, kind of deep a little bit. And, and I wrote this letter from a father to my son and I see this there in the center above his mirror in the center and I said, hey, Reb, there's the letter I wrote you. He said, yeah. He says, Dad, I, I look at it every day. And man, it, I felt like I was trying to swallow a camel. I had this big old knot in my throat. Because I was just, I was just so blessed that my son wanted to look at the words that his father had given him every day. And I'm wondering how it makes our Father in Heaven feel. I mean, if we are anxious to look at the Word every day, if we are anxious to hear the voice of the Father every day, because remember the promise is that the Father desires to give you aid. He desires to give you direction in life if we we will listen to the voice of the Father. And I guess the question is, when was the last time that we were quiet enough and that we paused enough to hear the voice of the Father? I like that about this passage. There, there's this little, again, this little revelation that the Father wants to give us direction. Amen. But then there's another part of the verse that's really big there at the end of the passage. Look at the passage again, which is, is a reminder that things will not last forever in this life. Just kind of a truth to remember. Things will not last. In fact, we see it there in the apocalyptic uh, language there. There's kind of a, apocalyptic eschatology, which means Uh, The study of the end of things, really, but since it's apocalyptic, it's the study of the end of times. And so we have this moon thing and the blood and all of that. Like, you know, it's the end of all times. And, and, you know, what what it's saying, it's reminding us how temporary this life is. It's reminding us that things in this world will not last forever. Now, life is beautiful. I love creation. I love the experience of being married to my lovely wife. I love the experience of of getting to know you. I mean, life is awesome. It's beautiful, but folks, no matter how beautiful it is, no matter how much we cling to it, this world would not last forever. I uh, I probably am humbled, you know, by the privilege. I am humbled by the privilege of sitting with a spouse, a husband or wife that's been married for fifty five or sixty five years. And they're having to say goodbye to their spouse because they are in that transition from this world to the next. And they've been married 65 years. And it breaks your heart. And it's a reminder that things will not last forever. And so on the heels of this, chapter 1 then folds into chapter 3. And then we're reminded something else, that there is one thing that will never change. And that one thing that will never change that we see in the passage here, look at verse 21. We go to verse 21, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Read that with me. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, which is really something here. This is just not a, a theological rendition. I mean, it could have been that. Dr. Luke could have, you know, worked it that way and made it just that. But what Luke does do is he, he keeps it in the story, the story of Jesus Christ and then that narrative unfolds for us the truth that makes all the difference in the world, and, and that is the gospel of Christ. Amen. And, and I love that. I, I love that God allows the passage or, or makes the passage. Uh, For us, a, a again direction in life back to his plan, back to his purpose for us and for life that we're living. And I love it because it solidifies and reminds us that God desires to have relationship with with us. Amen. Because I love God. Amen. And so he desires this relationship with us. So he gives us direction. Things are not going to last forever, but one thing that does last forever is that Jesus Christ saves. Jesus Christ saves. So here's the aha moment, as simple as it sounds. Here's the aha moment. The aha moment is there. It is salvation is for everyone. And then he he kind of shows us, again, as chapter 2 folds into chapter 3, in in verse 3, he shows us. That salvation is for everyone. As we begin to read there in verse 3, this is chapter 3. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. That's the time they'd go to pray. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful. And, and maybe he was hanging on to the neck of somebody and being carried piggyback. Or maybe there was a couple men that was you know carrying him, two or three men on a blanket and carrying him. But he had been lame since birth. And so he's brought to this place that is called what? The gate what? The gate beautiful. And so he's laid down at the gate beautiful and it's a time that they're coming to pray, the people are coming to pray. And then we come here in this passage and Peter and John passes. And so the, the man there gets their attention. Hey! You know, probably wanting money or something. Hey! And then I I, again, I love this because what happens, the scripture says that that Peter and John look straight at him. And that is relevant because, folks. That is sometimes a difficult place to bring ourselves and that is to look straight at them. Whomever they may be that are in the margins, whoever they are, whether they're holding a sign at the street corner or whether they're, they're, they're in anguish in the emergency room, the fact is that they look straight at him and then the, he looks back maybe expecting something and then oh I love what happens next that he reaches down with the hand of humanity and there's two dynamics. One is the dynamic of man's action and he reaches down, Peter reaches down and he says what he says get up and walk amen and then all of a sudden by the power of god this is the god dynamic the man's feet and his ankles become strong is what the scripture says the feet and the ankles become strong and he begins to jump and shout and glorify god and it says that he then follows them into the temple and you can imagine i'm going to change microphone sorry about this hello he follows them into the temple. Is that better? He follows them in the temple and the man's praising and jumping and shouting. And, and you can imagine what happens because of the dynamic of man's action, being obedient to God and also the power of God coming upon him. He upsets the system. He upsets the empire. He upsets everything that would have been normal. It's no longer normal. Why? Because God had acted in that man's life. Amen. And I look at this passage, and I am blown away with the last verse, verse 10 of this second passage I'm looking at, verse 10. And we read, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And then, and they were filled with wonder and amazement that this has happened to him. Which kind of connects us to another phrase in the beginning of the book of Acts, which is amazed and perplexed. Because when the early church begins to be obedient to God and the power of God comes upon them and they are obedient to what God has called them to be, the church, we read that they were amazed and perplexed by these things that these ones that call themselves Christians were doing. And in fact, then at the end of this passage, they were filled with wonder and amazement. Why is that? I mean, why do we have these two phrases set so close together in juxtaposition of the obedience of God's people reaching out to those that are maybe um, not the most attractive. And this is why, because when we act like God would have us act and we live like God would have us live, it will be so countercultural that it leaves mankind in awe because we're being obedient to God. To reach out to those that are around us. It's interesting. The story is right out of the, the starting gate. Right after the spirit had arrived. You know making it clear who the passage is about. And, and how God has called us to act. And, and how that it's possible. That probably maybe the most uncomfortable. The most com- uncomfortable class of society. To reach out to. Would be the very class that God and Jesus calls us to reach out to. S- some would say. And I don't like the phrase. But some would say. The dregs of society, the margins. I, I remember as a kid, my my dad and I used to go hunting together, and I have an older brother, and he'd be along, and we'd go hunting together. And I remember up in the mountains of Idaho, we'd have this uh, tin coffee pot that we it was a camp coffee pot, and we'd go down the stream, and we'd scoop up some water, ice cold water, out of the stream, and then we'd set it directly in the fire, right over the flames, and then we'd take a handful of coffee grounds and we'd throw it right directly in the water in the tin coffee pot, and we'd make you know coffee like a man. <laughs> And then the coffee would begin to boil there on the flames. And the grinds would begin to settle to the bottom, you know. And I was all of about ten years of age. And my dad would let me have a cup of coffee. I mentioned that when we go hunting. I could drink coffee. And we'd drink the coffee sitting around. I mean, it was scalding hot around the campfire. We'd drink the coffee. And then we'd get to the end of the cup. And it would be the very bottom of the cup, the very... The very bottom that was the most bitter part, it was the dregs. And I wish I could say I was man enough that I'd drink them, but I, I wouldn't. I'd, I'd throw them out. You see, see I, I'm a little disturbed when sometimes that's exactly how we want to treat people. As if that there, there is such a thing. And I cannot imagine Jesus Christ himself thinking that way at all. Amen. And so you see the aha moment here, what did I say already? The aha moment is salvation is for everyone. Salvation is for everyone. I mean, we say that, but do we really know it? Amen? Do we really believe it? And then the, the second aha is we must call on the name of the Lord. We all must call on the name of the Lord. And, and it's interesting, staying within the context of the passage, you know, Peter was really facing quite, quite an obstacle, a major obstacle, in fact, because the people were, were largely Jews who firmly held to the idea of one God, of course, Yahweh, the God of, and father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and a God of redemption past and, and deliverer. But the challenge was to convince them that God had come into the form of this one whose name is Jesus of Nazareth. This is why he refers to so many scriptures from the Old Testament tying to their faith and their belief. And and there's no doubt resistance was present as the gospel was being preached. And 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 I understand. I mean, we're trained from the beginning, you know, to to be achievers or overachievers, and to be self-help experts, and to be driven, and to keep our eye on the ball, and to be successful. But you see, to cast our eyes and to look straight at them—maybe those that do not belong—it's a little bit out of the ordinary. It, it's the kind of thing that I I I, I think the scripture would say that. That requires childlike faith. Childlike faith. I, I love the passage that records Jesus saying, suffer little children and forbid them not to come unto me. For such is the kingdom of heaven. Childlike faith. That, that we might respond to the Lord with this childlike faith. I, I remember as, as a young father, when my kids were one and a half or two years old, my, my boys... Um, And and you'll probably get a bad image of me as a father in your mind because of this. But but I would have my boys, I'd set them on top of the car sometimes and I'd back up and I'd say, "Okay, son, jump. My wife would yell at me for doing it. But my boys would jump and they'd just jump into my arms because they trusted their father. They had just this this blinding faith that they they trusted their father. And so they had this childlike faith. Also, childlike faith, see, knows where the, the source of help comes from. Knows where the source of help comes from. I came across this article. I want to share this with you today. um, Of of a five-year-old little boy. I mean, get this for just a moment. This guy's five years old. And this article comes out in a newspaper by the name of the Times Free Press. And the title of the article is 911 Call Reveals the Child's Anguish. Now, get this. He's only five years old. So it's remarkable that he knew to call 911. On the phone with the 911 dispatchers, the five year old boy asks again and again if police can come and help. He sounds quite scared and all alone. My mama and my daddy got shot, the boy tells the dispatcher. They're fighting, she asked. No, the boy says. The dude shot them. Later in the call, the dispatcher asks the boy where his parents are now, and he tells her they're both inside the house. Are they talking to you? She asks the dispatcher. No, they're dead. He replies. Both of them. Uh huh. He says, I'm all by myself. And then he goes into repeating, send the police, send help, send the police, send help. And then the article mentions how remarkable it was this five-year-old boy could tell them what street he lived on and the color of the house that that he lived in. And so here here is a child. Five years of age that knew the source of his help. I mean, if, if we want purpose in life, you know, and we want peace in life, the step is knowing the source of our help. The source of our help, hallelujah, is Jesus Christ. The source of our help is, is God, who is our creator. And the challenge for us today is to say, Father, I'm going to be obedient and I'm going to hear your voice. And I don't know, maybe it's been a while since you've heard the voice of the Father. And maybe as we respond today during our response time, it is an opportunity for you to not only receive direction, but hear the voice of the Father today. I want to invite us as we, we go through our response time here in a moment I want to invite us to really hear God's voice. And maybe that means that we're not going to whisper to each other or talk to each other, but we're going to hear the voice of God. And we're going to be sensitive to that voice as He speaks to us, as we come and we participate in the Holy Sacrament of God and reflect upon what God did for us as He became flesh and He broke His body and He shed His blood that we might have everlasting life. God wants to give you direction. He wants to give you aim today. He wants to give you aid. Will you hear the voice of the Father? Maybe hearing the voice means quietly kneeling and just listening. When was the last time did you get a chance to do that? Maybe just responding to him.